much. <laughs> so everything from uh, this point out that I will preach, I absolutely and fully struggle with and do not have a grasp on fully. So don't look to me as that example. We will see today the example we are to look at. So please, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. To Ephesians chapter 4. We are booking through this book. So in comparison to some people, we're booking through this book. So we can put it that way. Um, you know, Dick, I just want to thank you for those songs that you, you choose. It's always so good that we can, we can sing just uh, theological, theologically deep songs. I, I mean, it's really good for our soul, right? That's, what, that's why it's, it's well with our soul, because we know that we have this good and gracious God. That we, that we serve and who's been loving and uh, kind towards us in so many ways. So let's go ahead and um, we'll pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig in. We'll dig in after this. Father, you are a good and gracious king. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we can come and worship you, that we can come and lift your name high and know in our hearts that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Father, thank you that we can come and we can listen to your word preached with no fear of persecution as of right now. Father, I'm reminded of these missionaries that we learned about last week and how they preach your word day in and day out with the fear of their own life being taken as they preach in these Muslim countries. Father, pray for them and that they would be protected by your mighty hand. Father, now I just ask that you would come and you would accompany the preaching of your word, that your spirit would come and bring conviction where it is needed father that it would bring comfort where it's needed father i pray for those that are ailing that have wounds that you would heal father not only physical wounds but also spiritual wounds emotional wounds that you would come with those spiritual wounds and emotional wounds with the sweetness of the gospel and heal them up Turn our eyes to Christ now, Father, that we would see him for all that he is. In your name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at the first six verses. But first I want us to kind of look at a few different things to bring us into chapter 4 because Paul now takes a turn. And he's going to go into, um, essentially he's going to go into uh, these things that we call imperatives. We have indicatives and imperatives. And we see that in this first verse, if you look at verse four in, uh, or chapter four in verse one, he says, therefore. So what he's looking at with the therefore is what came before this. Everything that came before what he talked about in these chapters one through three, he's bringing these in. Those, those were all indicatives. 
Now, what an indicative is, is indicative is a fact, right? It's simply, it's just a fact. That's what an indicative is. And now what he's going to do in chapter 4 through 6 is he's going to bring imperatives, okay? He's going to bring imperatives. For example, if we use my favorite thing, if I want chocolate chip cookies, right? That's a fact that I just stated. I want a chocolate chip cookie. Now, I can go and either make chocolate chip cookies, I could go to the store and buy chocolate chip cookies, or I could call this lady that makes really good chocolate chip cookies and have her give them to me. That's the imperative, right? So this is what Paul is saying. After all these great doctrine after doctrine after doctrine after doctrine that he has shared with us in in chapters 1 through 3, this is now how we respond to these doctrines, This is how we respond to the inheritance that God has given us, to our election, to our adoption, to our forgiveness of sins. This is how we respond to being made alive and put into the church. He brings these glorious doctrines, and now he says, brothers and sisters, this is how you live with each other. Not only with each other, but we will see how we live out our walk personally, And we'll see how we live out our walk in our families. And we'll see how we live out this walk in a spiritual battle. That's essentially the next three chapters. And that's what Paul is going to look at. This is familiar in all of Paul's writings. We have to understand that. He's always using the indicatives and then the imperatives. right? Or we can use different words. He's given us a doctrine and then duty is what he does. We see this in the book of Romans. Romans chapters 1 through 11, he deals with sin and justification and sanctification and adoption. All these things he deals with all through there, all those doctrines. And then he comes to Romans 12, 1, and he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So then after that, he's going to take chapters 12 through 16, and he's going to paint what that looks like. So we see this in most of Paul's letters, so it should not be a surprise to us when we see this in uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. So now, let's look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 and see what it says. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all and through all and in all. So this is where Paul looks at us there. Now I want us to look at this word first. I want us to look at this word. He says he urges, right? Verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge. I think this is an important word. Now this is what this word means. It means to invite or call or exhort or admonish or persuade, right? So he's he's persuading us he's inviting us he's exhorting us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we've been called now this is a verb and i i just want to bring these out because this is how it's going to 
how we look at these things. And this verb is a present tense verb, which means that it has continual or repeated action. So this is something that all of us need to be doing with each other. We need to continually be urging each other, exhorting each other, admonishing each other to walk in a worthy manner, in a manner worthy of our calling. That's what Paul is telling us. So how do we walk in this manner? Well, I think, first of all, we have to challenge ourselves with our affections, right? Here's the question. Why do you desire to be obedient to Jesus? We have to answer that question, right? If we don't answer that question, it just becomes legalism. We can do all these things that we're going to talk about in these next few chapters, and it just be a box that we check off in our legalistic mindset. We have to have the right affections. That's what we have to have. You know, I love the last song. You know, it it says that, that we are accepted. Brothers and sisters, this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus does not tell us to clean up our life and then come to him. He tells us, you come to me and let me clean up your life. That's the call of the gospel. He tells us that we are, we, we are already accepted in him. Therefore, now do these things. Our affections, our desires have to be for the gospel. If you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called, you have to have affections for Jesus Christ. You have to have a love for him. You have to have a desire for him. And then that spirit brings that desire out and we walk as we want to walk. This is why it's such a hard thing. This is why we have to urge each other. So here's how we walk in a Christ-like manner, right? That's the worthy. That's the worthy walk. This worthy is is a manner becoming. It's a manner becoming. It's a high calling, brothers and sisters, is it? It's a high calling to be a child of God. This is the worthy manner. It's a high calling. It's not a low calling. It's an exalted calling. And so we have to have lives that match that exalted calling. And Paul tells us this is how the life looks. Number one, the first thing is a worthy walk realizes that we are a called people. A worthy walk realizes that we are a called people. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. God has called you and I through the gospel to himself. He's the one who draws us to himself. He is the one that calls. Now, when we look at the Bible, there's, there's, a, there's a call. There's a call that goes out. There's a general call. When we preach the gospel, there's a general call that goes out for all people to repent. But then there's the effectual call. And the effectual call is the one who repents. But when we look at this calling and this high calling, we have to consider a few things. That it is a for sure calling. It's a for sure calling. Listen to John 6, 37. And listen to what our Lord says in John 6, 37 and 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 
and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. We see Jesus again as he talks in John chapter 10 in the Good Shepherd passage. He says in verses 28 and 29, I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is a for sure calling, brothers and sisters. If you have repented and you are in Christ, you are in God's hand. Imagine that, the Almighty's hand, you are in His hand, safe and secure and nobody can take you out of His hand. It is a for sure calling. It is a safe calling calling it's a glorious calling it's a glorious calling listen to romans 8 28 through 30 and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's a glorious calling. It's a glorious calling. It's a heavenly calling. Hebrews 3.1 Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. It's a for sure calling. It's a glorious calling. It's a heavenly calling. And, brothers and sisters, it's a holy calling. It's a holy calling. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Yes, we are called to live holy lives. We need to be continually pursuing holiness. It's a pursuit. We will never reach it. We will never attain it. There will never be a time when we sit there and say, I have arrived. That will never happen, brothers and sisters. But we still pursue with a godly passion holiness because we have been called to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. It is a high calling. That's number one. Secondly, a worthy walk has Christ-like virtue. It has Christ-like virtue. Look at verse 2. He says that we are to walk in a calling worthy of what we've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility. Humility. God does not want a prideful people. He wants a humble people. Right? Now this word, it means lowly. But it's not like we walk around depressed. It's not that kind of humility. It's not that we're like, oh, oh, oh. You know, we're not Eeyores, right? Everybody knows who Eeyore is, right? Jenny calls me Eeyore. 
you know, so that's, that's my nickname in the house, Eeyore or Chunk, because I carry candy in my pockets all the time. But anyways, this humility, this humility, it's the opposite of pride. It's humility of mind, and it's the foundation, right? It's the foundation. Just think about the first three chapters that we looked at with humility. Those first three chapters, when we look at what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, we should be a humble people. We should be a humble, humble people. When we realize that our salvation is nothing of our own doing, we should be a humble people. When we realize that God's grace in our life and his mercy in life is out of his love for us, this should produce a humble person. We should be humble people. And this is the foundation. Nothing else flows out of the Christian life without humility. We must be humble people. When we're prideful people, that means we feel like we're superior. That's not humility. When we regard other people as lower than us, then we are a prideful people. We are not a humble people. But when we are a humble people, we realize who we really are in a proper way, that we are spiritually bankrupt at first. This is what Matthew 5, 3 says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That poor in spirit is spiritually bankrupt. Right? It's, it's, it's Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked. We have to understand ourselves properly to have a proper view of humility. We have to see that we are spiritually bankrupt, and that makes us a a humble person. But now what's God's view? How does God view the humble? Listen to Psalms 136.6. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly or the humble, but the haughty or the prideful he knows from afar. So God regards the one who is humble, but the proud person, he knows from afar. He knows from afar. Proverbs 3.34 says this, Toward the scorner, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. We are to be a humble people. God, God's view of the humble person. He gives favor to the humble person. God dwells with the humble person. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He dwells with us. James 4, 6 puts it this way. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves before God, right? That's what, I, I believe that's what Peter says. Humble yourselves before God. We are to be a humble people. Now here's what we look at. Am I the example of humility? Absolutely not. Are you the example of humility? Maybe better than me. But our ultimate example of humility is Jesus Christ, the God-man, the one who came from heaven to earth. This is humility. 
Listen to Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. This is what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. He is humble, and you will find rest in your souls. And then the ultimate of you, we see his ultimate humiliation. We see his ultimate humility put on display in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, when he says, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count, count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You want to see greatness in humility? You put your focus on Jesus Christ. Not a man, not a Mark Devers, not a John MacArthur, not a John Piper, We get our eyes off of a man and we put him on to the God-man. That is the ultimate example of humility. That is the ultimate example of greatness is Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul tells us. We walk humble, humbly we walk with each other because of the greatness of who Jesus Christ is. Secondly, in these attributes, he says, we walk gently. We are gentle. This will be our last one. This is where I'll break this, and we'll talk about the other ones next week. But gentleness, we are to be gentle. Look again at Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, and gentleness. This word gentleness can also be translated meekness. It can be translated meekness. It's, a, it's, it's being kind. It's, it's being gentle with one another. Right? Be- because this is what he's talking about. He's talking about us and how we are with, with each other first. Are we gentle with each other? You see, out of humility will flow gentleness. If we are a humble people, we will be gentle with each other. But if we are a prideful people, we'll be harsh with each other. We have to understand the opposites. If you're humble, you'll be gentle. If you're prideful, you'll be harsh. It calls us to be a gentle people. Gentleness then is not timid or weak as some definitions put it, but it actually means power under control. It means power under control. That's meekness. Power under control. It's power under control. It could be like a tamed animal, right? We can, it could be like a tamed animal. Like if we go to one of these safari deals and we got the guy playing with those tigers, right, with the meat, which I'm not really sure that's real wise to do. But that, that animal is tamed at the moment. But man, that animal's got tremendous power, does he not? He's got tremendous power. He can take down that guy at any time. And that's what it is. It's power under control. This is what a meek, atti- a, a meek attitude is never this, brothers and sisters. A meek attitude is never avenging. A gentle attitude or a meek attitude is never self-driven. It's not vengeful. It's not self-defensive. 
It doesn't defend itself all the time. It's a meek attitude. Then this is what it is. It's quiet. It's a quiet attitude. His or her opinion doesn't always need to be heard. We don't always need to be the one in the room talking all the time. We don't need to be the talking head. My opinion doesn't matter. My education doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I know all these big words and these big words and these big words. It doesn't matter. We're a meek people. We're a gentle people. Our opinions don't always matter. Consider other people more important than yourself, Philippians says. Consider others more important than yourself. Have a gentle attitude. You're, you're mild. You're, you're mild-mannered. I know Clark Kent pops into my head if it didn't pop into your head, but it does. You know, but we're mild and we're, we're mild-mannered. And we're self-controlled. We're self-controlled. So just think about that in your own life. People who are quickly angered at things that don't always go their way or they don't always get, or they're inconvenienced and they always get angry at that right off the bat, they're quick-tempered, that is not a gentle or meek person. If you're a believer and that's how you are, if you are angered at not getting your way right away and you are angered at things going wrong with you, you don't understand gentleness. Therefore, then you're not humble. Therefore, then, you don't see the greatness of Jesus. All of this compiles on one to another and ends with how we view Jesus Christ. We don't understand that gentleness. You know, for, for me, just, just for, for my confession, I get angered easily in my head. In my head, I can get angered really easy when, when I have to uh, go help Jenny do something and not watch the football game. Because I want to watch the football game. Or even a documentary. I shared with you guys documentaries. You know, luckily that doesn't happen too much because I've converted my wife to watching documentaries with me. So that's, that's really good. But those are little itty-bitty things. And man, I get so angry at those things because it in, in, inconveniences me. I'm not being meek and I'm not being gentle. And that's what we need to be. We need to be meek and gentle people. That this gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This gentleness is a character trait for all believers. It's a character trait for all of us. Colossians 3, 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 1 Timothy 6, 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Are you pursuing gentleness? Gentleness has a, a, a proper view of the lost. We have a proper view of the lost. We've been talking about evangelism, having this proper view of the lost. The Christian who is gentle sees the unsaved in a compassionate way. We see them as we were, lost, headed for hell. As Dick said in the, in the, in the uh, Sunday school, Jonathan Edwards' sermon on sinners under the angry God. Do you see the unsaved people in your life that you come in contact with on a slippery slope headed to hell? 
on a thin line, very thin line, like the line of a spider's web, and they're hanging and they're dangling over hell, and God's got the scissors to come and cut that line. You see, that was every one of us. We were the ones dangling, and God came and he saved us. Do you see your unsaved friends and family and co-workers? Do you see them in that way that they are dangling over the pit of hell? And brothers and sisters, hell is eternal. That's what you have been saved from, an eternal wrath of God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine for eternity the wrath of God being poured out continually on you? And it doesn't ease up. Continually pouring out on you. We've been saved from that, brothers and sisters. We've been saved from that hell. We've been saved from his wrath. By him, we should have a proper view. That gentleness brings a proper view. We, we, we bring the gospel and gentleness to our unsaved family members. We do not see ourselves as, as superior to them but we see ourselves as gentle, humble believers who want to see God's work in their lives and them come to repentance because they see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus again, brothers and sisters, I am not the example of gentleness, but Jesus is our ultimate example of gentleness. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Again, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Jesus is gentle. He is the ultimate example of power under control. We see that in the garden. Here comes all these men to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out his sword and he whacks off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus tells Peter, hey, don't need to do that. I can call down legions of angels if I want to. Power under control. Other versions of the Gospels, they come and they ask Jesus. They say, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And they all fall down because he is the God-man. And yet he is gentle and lowly of spirit. We, brothers and sisters, need to emulate Jesus in our walk. This is walking in a high calling when we are a humble people and we are a gentle people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this time. Father, I know these are only two virtues that we looked at and maybe next week, Lord, as we come, please keep this pressed upon our minds of the gentleness of Christ, the humbleness of Christ, that we may walk in a Christ-like manner, not out of duty, Lord, but out of a loving heart that desires to serve you in a faithful and worthy way. Lord, change our affections, change our hearts that we would love Christ even more. In your name, amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand and sing our last song.